Handelsbanken is a local relationship bank built on satisfied customers, financial strength and sustainable values. Find out more at handelsbanken.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Handelsbanken Insights. I'm Daniel Marley. On this week's edition, it will be a special edition looking at the global macro forecast. And I'm delighted to be joined by James Sproul, Handelsbank and UK's Chief Economist. So James, I think the first obvious question is, what is the global macro forecast and why are we doing it? The global macro forecast is trying to both tie in what's going on in a global sense, because of course economies are all interconnected, uh, but then also with a real focus on uh, the areas that are where we have our, our most uh, commercial activity. Okay, well, the section that you are responsible for obviously is the UK bit. So let's dig down into what that says. Can you just outline the growth forecasts and what's going to go on, the, on with inflation uh, according to you over, say, 2024, but also going into the medium term? Sure. So what we start out with, with, with make, when making any of these forecasts is all of the official data from the Office for National Statistics. Now, for the UK, that those numbers have been re- revised a good deal over the course of 2023. Uh, and at one point, we had, for instance, last year, this time last year, we had thought that we were likely to slip into a recession here in the UK, very shallow, at the end of 2023. Uh, revised numbers came through, took us out of that recession, newly revised figures, potentially pushing us back into recession in the latter half of 2023. We'll have to see how those numbers go. But the, the real issue here is that we are basically bouncing around the level of zero. And that, that obviously means that uh, small revisions to the data do mean that we all of a sudden pop into the, the R word, so it becomes recessionary or not. And that really does start to look like it's going to be at least a pattern for the first half of 2024, which is to say um, pretty anemic growth. It's certainly going to be sub 0.5%, so sub half of 1%. And we, we look that to continue really over the course of 2024. Now, what sits behind that? And that's that's we we have to do, to dig in. We don't just pick up numbers. We actually start to look at consumer behavior. We look at business investment. We look at what's going on in the government. We look at the trade accounts, and we we make some estimations as to what we think is happening in all of that. The biggest bit is, of course, consumers, and consumer uh, expenditure is about two thirds of GDP. So whenever we look at these numbers, this is really important to think what's happening to consumers. Now, consumers being battered by a number of things. They've obviously had a cost of living crisis, which has uh, been fed by quite a bit higher taxes. Uh, it's been fed by higher debt costs. It's been fed by inflation eating away the, the purchasing power of their, their money. And all these things together have led to battered consumer over the course of 2023. And we're not expecting things to get that much better over the next 12 months. But I do think if there is a, a tendency, it's to get slightly better over that period of time. Now, what's getting better? Now, of course, inflation has been falling quite a lot. And that means people aren't feeling quite as squeezed on their, their paychecks. And their paychecks have been going up. Earnings has started to increase. So the nominal rate of uh, earnings is, is still around um, between 6 and 7%. But because inflation's fallen away, that's gone into real-terms rises. And we expect those real-term rises to really continue throughout the course of 2024. Nothing heroic, but you know, 1%, 2% does start to add up into notable amounts of money to people's pockets. And they'll start to spend a bit more of that money. So that's looking a bit more positive. As far as um, business investment goes, there's a number of things going on here. First of all, uh, the Chancellor did give an incentive for business to invest a bit more over the course of 2024. wasn't as, as generous as the incentives that we had seen prior to March of uh, last year. But you know that's now getting to be almost a year ago, so we are still expecting business to start looking afresh at where they might make investments. Now, for a business person, 
you're probably not going to be tempted to make an investment solely on the basis of a tax advantage. You really need to also see more demand for whatever goods or services you're producing. Um, so you do need to see a bit healthier economy. So again, we've got business investment coming up a bit, but not anything particularly heroic. Sitting behind all this, a number of other things which we, we continually watch on. One is the accumulated pile of savings that people got over the, the course of the pandemic. Of course, we do know that about uh, 200 billion was was put aside by, by people across the UK uh, during that period of time. And it's largely been unspent. And that's, uh, I think, still gives us hope that in the medium term, people do start to dip into that money. They've, they've been dipping into, into it in the US. It's been one of the things that sort of sat behind the US's pretty strong economic performance, but they haven't been digging into it either here in the UK or in fact in the Eurozone either. And uh, I think though, uh, that does offer us a little bit of hope for the longer term. Okay, so just picking up on your comment about real wages that are positive at the moment, and I think you're expecting them to remain positive over 2024, obviously that's largely down to the fall in inflation. And I think you're expecting inflation to hit 2% at some point this year, which is obviously very good news. So I think that naturally leads to the question of uh, rate cuts, doesn't it? So we're obviously at 5.25% at the moment. When do you think rate cuts are going to come? And how many do you think there will be during this year? Let's just rewind slightly there on the inflation thing. Yes, inflation is, is without question falling. And um, our view has for some time been that it's going to be a bit more difficult to push it down that last little bit. So the fall from uh, over 10% where we peaked to uh, our present levels, that was largely achieved through essentially the base effect where, where they, the energy price spike was washed out of the system. And of course, inflation fell precipitously as a result of that. But the next stage, which is really going to be about squeezing down on wages, which is going to be more difficult, now, as so long as, as wage rates remain reasonably subdued, I think the Bank of England will be quite happy. But over the coming months, this is going to be undoubtedly one of the big key areas of focus for the Monetary Policy Committee. Why that matters, of course, is because, as you say, when are we likely to get rate cuts? Now, um, there's, of course, other big central banks in the world, and they, they don't uh, necessarily coordinate, but they all do watch each other and what's happening. And the, of course, the most important central bank in the world is typically the United States Federal Reserve. Um, the markets are expecting the Fed to cut rates early, as early as March of this year. I think that's a little bit too optimistic. And both here in the UK, but more generally, markets have tended to get overexcited on the way up as, as rates were being raised and overexcited on the way down. They, they expected rates to go higher than they eventually went, and they now expect rates to descend more rapidly than I think is likely to be the case. So our view is that the Federal Reserve will not start cutting until the late spring, and that they will be the first to cut. Inflation in the US has been less problematic than it's been in much of Europe, and so that's going to be giving them a bit of confidence. The ECB, um, whilst British inflation has now fallen to the level of, say, German and French inflation, in general, European inflation has not been quite as problematic as it's been in the UK, and therefore we do expect the ECB to cut in June and the Bank of England to follow in the wake of those other two. So the first, first cut will be the Fed, then the ECB, then the Bank of England. And because of that, we're only expecting to see 25 basis point fall. So it's going to be a gradual falling over the course of over the remainder of, of 2024. We're looking for three cuts here in the UK over the course of 2024 to 4.5% by the year end and continuing falling away over 2025. Now, where is inflation going to go? What's, what's going to happen in terms of interest rates in the longer term? Uh, we are seeing a collapse in the money supply, both here in the UK, but also the Eurozone and the US. And that probably does point to um, inflation becoming less of a problem out into the future. And in fact, it may well be that it takes um, uh, UK inflation down below its 2% target, which means that we might see the interest rates 
going a little bit below what we call their neutral rate, which is the, the rate at which they're neither expanding the economy nor contracting the economy. We think that's around 2.5%. And so our long-term forecast looks at UK interest rates going just under that neutral rate at 2.25% because we think that inflation will be coming less of a problem because of that, those money supply figures. Yeah, it was a really interesting point there you're making, James, about Eurozone inflation compared to the UK, not as high uh, in the Eurozone. And uh, service price inflation in the Eurozone, 4% compared to 6% in the UK. And I think that really highlights that nominal wage growth in the UK has been just that much higher. And that's really showing up in inflation. But if you look at Sweden, they do seem to have a fairly similar inflation problem to us. Um, what are some of the reasons behind that? Well, I think they've got some of the same uh, wage push issues that we've had as well in, in terms of there's been a reluctance by workers who've been disadvantaged by the cost of living crisis. And so a lot of the same sorts of pressures from workers and also a um, fairly tight labor market that has prevailed here in the UK. So I think there's many of the similarities between the, the UK and Sweden and all that. Uh, they've also, of course, had a, a similar issues around their currency, but the krona and sterling are, are going to be- benefit a bit in that they're going to be a bit slower to be cutting interest rates uh, in both places. And the result of that is likely to be seeing a bit of strength over the course of 2024 for both sterling and the krona. Of course, and when the currency strengthens, that obviously uh, makes imports less expensive and is a, is a deflationary force. So I'm sure that'd be welcomed by both the BRICS Bank and the Bank of England. So James, pivoting to more global matters, obviously the dollar is effectively the most important currency in the global economy. You mentioned before what you think is going on with the Federal Reserve, but do you have any thoughts on what's going to happen with the dollar, You know, particularly compared to sterling and the euro? Well, let's look at the dollar a little bit holistically here for a second. There, there has been some talk about the dollar losing its dominance over the longer period of time. I do not think that's likely. Now, our forecast, looking forward from here, d- thinks that since we can't forecast where the next world's hotspot will be, that we will see a diminishing of those tensions. And the result of that is the euro is going to gain strength. Uh, I guess the dollar that is. So I think that that's, that's our sort of medium-term forecast. But of course, it does remain subject to none of those geopolitical tensions coming through. As far as the, uh, the value of sterling, I think a couple of things here. First of all, sterling against the euro has been actually pretty range-bound for much of 2023, and we expect it to remain pretty range-bound through 2024 as well. Europe and the UK face many of the same problems in terms of sluggish growth, in terms of getting over the inflationary bubble that we've just had, and in terms of sort of rebuilding their public finances, which in many cases are not particularly great. So I don't think there's going to be a, a big change on anything. And James, when you describe the pound-euro currency as being range-bound, effectively you're saying it's not going to move that much, is that correct? That is correct. So James, also you're mentioning some of the geopolitical risks. It seems as though our assumption at the moment is they get sort of slightly less bad, but obviously people will be fully aware of what's going on in the Red Sea. So can you just outline to uh, everyone listening, how has the current trouble in the Red Sea been accounted for in our forecasts? We have to look at the world as it sits at the moment. Now, it doesn't take a, a geopolitical genius to come up with scenarios in the Red Sea that things get much, much worse. But none of those things are certain, and none of them are even, I think, better than likely. So what we've had to do is to say that at the moment we see the Red Sea problem being contained. What are the issues in the Red Sea right now? Well, the first of all is it takes about a week longer on shipping routes. And because there's also spare shipping going around the world, with the exception of LNG tankers, so it's it's adds a little bit of cost because you have to have more ships on the route to keep the same flow of goods coming through, uh, given the longer transit times. But in general, it's not adding all that much to the inflation uh, of goods. If that were to change, if, for instance, 
more shippers were to have a problem, if the LNG shipments, because there's there's a shortage of, of LNG tankers, were to become a more acute problem, that might start to impact inflation. In general, the only commodity, the only input cost that really influences inflation quickly is energy prices. And so for the moment, we're looking at, at that geopolitical tension. It's awfully interesting to watch it, but it's not having an enormous impact. That's not to say it wouldn't have an enormous impact or a larger impact as time goes on. And that's one of those things we'll have to, to sort of stand by in the next few months. And as and when those those issues are better understood and in terms of their geopolitical or their macroeconomic impact, we will include them into our macro forecast. But for the moment, it really doesn't look at the Red Sea troubles coming through in our forecasts. Okay, James, just to conclude, turning back to the UK, obviously, whenever forecasts are done, we have so-called upside risks and downside risks. So things may turn out better than expected or worse than expected. Um, where would you see the balance lies with the UK and the current forecast? Do you think it lies to the downside or the upside? Well, uh, a couple of things. First of all, there's a thing that uh, you and I look at all the time, Daniel, which um, is run through Bloomberg called the Surprise Index, which looks at uh, endless forecasts for the UK, for the Eurozone, for the US. And then it says what that was the forecast and was the forecast too optimistic or pessimistic. So what are the upside risks and downside risks? I think that we've become very used to the idea that there is a lot of uh, negativity in the market. And um, we've certainly seen consumer confidence battered a lot, but it's been coming up a little bit. And we do know that there are those savings out there. So I can see over the course of 2024 having to up my forecast for the UK. So I think there's probably a little bit of positivity to come through there. But that is, of course, assuming that none of these problems like the Red Sea or some new hotspot emerge to, to knock all of our forecasts off kilter once again. So James, thank you very much for those insights as always. And if anyone listening would like to read the bigger report, you can see it on our website. It's called The Global Macro Forecast. But if you like what you've heard, as ever, please do rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. And you may also want to share this episode on social media. We look forward to you tuning in next time. 